0: alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Sharon Browning, founder of Just Listening for the Common Good. Sharon, I'm grateful for your willingness to share what you've learned on your journey, your encouragement that all of us can become the possible human, and how you honor the common humanity in everyone. Your commitment to listening as an act of justice is changing the world. Welcome to ROG.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you, Shannon. It's good to be here. And that was lovely.
0: <laughs> that
1: was lovely. Oh. <laughs>
0: thank you. I mean it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Sharon.
1: Well, uh, I spent my early childhood in the Midwest, which was formative in its own way. Then we moved to, you know, the East Coast. And I'm from a large family, six kids. My dad died when I was 11. And so that really shaped things considerably. We were between two and 13, the six of us. So that was significant. Um, I had the great privilege of going to law school when not very many women did. The class ahead of me only had three women in it. Uh, but, you know, I went to save the world <laughs> and then and then looked around my class and thought everybody else was arrogant. It's <laughs> just, you know, Ah, youth. Uh, So anyway, I worked as a legal services lawyer, a public interest, you know, poverty lawyer uh, for years. And when my kids were small, I actually taught at a small women's college, Chestnut Hill College in Philadelphia. And I taught in the sociology department. So gender and uh, some legal issues, social stratification, family issues, uh, global issues. It was really kind of fun. Then uh, my husband died in 1999. And my teenagers, my children were all teenagers, my three children. So I had to do something. I had to you know, generate more income. So I did go back into law, ran the pro bono branch of legal services in Philadelphia for a while. Along the lines also became a spiritual accompaniment person. I don't like the word director because I don't direct anybody. Uh, I just listen. And uh this just listening thing came to fruition in two thousand and seven, really, as a culmination of a lot of all those different experiences and a recognition that even in social service organizations, people aren't listening. And it's not that they don't want to. It's one people we we humans lack the skills. And also the time pressures that are created by the need for income and funding and all of that. It's so it becomes kind of a numbers game. And, oh, I'm sorry, I just don't have time to go there with you. You know, we got to move on, move on. So, uh, and also a, a lifelong, well, from my teen years on interest in uh, Gandhi's listening year and just the enormous potential of listening to each other. So it all came together and here I
0: am. That's incredible. Thank you for that. There's so much in what you just shared that I'm sure we're all curious about and recognize our pivotal moments in your life, like the loss that you've experienced and the education you've had and the being the first in many cases and your your awareness of the social injustice and what are some of the tools that you have? What are some of the skills that you've been given that you could use to be a force for good and that you've landed on this listening skill set as a place to build so many other things. So you teach people how to listen and then you also listen and you have a team of people that you've equipped with and and kind of lead into listening. So I'm curious to know how listening became this core skill set that you wanted to make your focal point. I think
1: part of it really is rooted in my childhood, being part of a large family where being listened to in this way, this very open, expansive, receptive way was relatively rare. It just didn't happen. And there was a sort of sense that children should be seen and not heard. So I think that really was the root of it. And then just throughout my life, observing the dire consequences of people not being seen, heard, understood. So much of our dysfunction, I think both, both personally and socially and planetary at this point, comes from our lack of skill and awareness in listening not, not only to other people, but to ourselves. So doing our inner work is really central. So I, I, just, uh, I trust this because it is small. It's a very tiny thing, but it is foundational to all relationships. It's foundational to social change and transformation. We're not moving anything unless we listen. It really is a macro skill that very often gets treated as a micro skill. So I love it because it's small, <laughs> tiny.
0: Well said. Yes. And, and how do you feel when people call it a soft skill? What's your reaction to that?
1: Well, I sort of like the word soft so I, I don't find, well, I don't find it insulting anyway. I don't find other people's opinions insulting. I think it's a perspective that I need to probe. And I think having an understanding that listening is a soft listening meaning and meaning in, in a derogatory way, like it's just not that important, is simply reflective of a lack of consciousness around the issue. And I don't mean being unconscious. I just mean that we we all have different levels of consciousness about all kinds of different issues. And I think for a person to say that they are not yet aware of just how high impact listening
0: is. So it's
1: it's all fine. We're all on a journey.
0: Agreed. Absolutely. And you mentioned a couple of reasons why it's challenging, right? What are some of the things that you've recognized are barriers to effective listening? Well,
1: the first thing I do want to say about not having the time is that time is all we have. It really is the only thing that we have any control over is this moment right now, right here. Not the past, not the future, just right now. So, And time is expandable and contractible. It is what we make of it. So I think this is something that is worth carving out space and time for. As far as barriers, we humans, I think, all share similar barriers. Individually, we have specific ones, but Just as human persons, no matter what our backgrounds, where we're from, there are certain ways that we all distort what's coming into our ears from other people. And uh, when we do the Just Listening trainings, we talk specifically about three. The first one is our, our inner monologue, our internal chatterbox. We're analyzing ourselves. We're wondering if we're sounding good, if we're sounding smart, all of that. And it just means when our heads are clogged, with all of that, that we are not listening to another. The second one is sociocultural filters, which we all have. And they're all rooted in our multiple, multiple identities, gender, uh, religion, age, sexual orientation, you on and on, uh, racial and uh, ethnic background, all sorts of cultural dimensions. And our beliefs, assumptions, habits are deeply rooted in that. We personally live at the confluence of all of those. And so we think they're how it is, when in fact it's how we are, and it isn't how other people are. And then finally is ego, and which is largely unconscious, the ways in which our egos are out there distorting what we say and what we hear are unknown to us until we make them conscious. So in the the trainings as we go through this, and I use Eckhart Tolle's nine unconscious manifestations of ego because I love them. I think they're so good, and it is what it is to be human. It's what we all do, and we develop these behaviors as coping mechanisms. There are all kinds of things that impact us, and as a defense mechanism, we produce these egoic behaviors that simply get in the way and don't permit us to one be authentic and vulnerable ourselves but also don't allow us to see that in other people. So we're constantly putting ourselves first, wanting to be superior, wanting to be right, wanting to show everybody else that we're right, correcting people when they're wrong, interrupting people so that they know that we've had a similar experience. And we think think that's empathy, but that's just ego. That's just not empathy. So it behooves all of us on a daily basis to watch our language, who is us and who is them? Who am I and who are you? Really ask ourselves, who is our we? Who is in my circle? When I say we, do I mean everyone? And someone recently said where we are as a species, the we now has to be the planet and all life on it. That's who our we has to be. And here we are consumed by who voted for whom whose opinions about vaccination and masks are mine and whose are not and it's just too small a perspective for us we don't have the luxury of being so small
0: anymore we're magnificent creatures we humans let's get on with it gosh if our listeners just get one thing from this conversation that would be one of the ones i want to highlight and then ego and how human it is for us to make things about ourselves and to try to be right and you know, be heard and all of that righteousness is very normal, but not helpful when we're trying to build productive, compassionate, connected relationships.
1: True, true. And one, one other thing I want to say about this is that the goal of acquiring these skills is not perfection. We culturally, want to be perfect. It's part of the whole ego thing. We want to be right. We, we want to be good. We want to be the best. We want to, we compete to be the best. And really what we just need to do is be ourselves. We just need to be authentic. So the goal is not perfection. It's awareness because it's when we become deeply aware, which is a combination of concentration and understanding. That's what awareness is. And when we move deeply into that, we can be in deeper relationship with ourselves and with each other.
0: When we come back, Sharon will share about concentration and understanding as the two components of awareness. Hello, I'm Joe Panfield, president and CEO of the T. Howard Foundation. We fulfill our mission to increase diversity in the media industry by offering college students paid internships with major media companies. As a result of their internship experience, nearly 200 of our interns are hired every year in communications, marketing, and even on-air talent. For more information about our program, visit t-howard.org. And we're back with more from Sharon Browning, More about concentration and understanding as the two components of awareness.
1: That really is the first time I ever read that formulation of it was uh, Thich Nhat Han's writings, and I was so struck with it because we talk about awareness all the time. We need to be aware, blah blah. Uh, part of meditation practice is awareness, etc. But what is it? It's always good, I think, to sort of pull things apart to see what those component pieces are. And he says that awareness is really those two things. It's concentration and then understanding. And he uses to make, to sort of simplify it, he says, think of it this way. It's stopping and looking. Just really focusing and paying attention to what is right in front of us. So yes, and just little practices like paying attention to how often we interrupt each other, paying attention to our internal monologue, the things that are pulling us away from what's right in front of us, being aware of our biases. You know, you can go online to just Google implicit bias. You can go online and take some little assessments of your own, our own, because all of us have this. All of us have it. What is my implicit bias? And being aware of that. When we have that level of self-awareness and self-compassion, then when we see those behaviors in other people we don't we don't say oh you jerk we say oh poor baby you too we're all in this boat together what happened to you what's your story why are you that way i know why i'm this way why are you that way and how can we lift each other right
0: because you have listened to people in and- The worst of circumstances, right? You've been helping people who are incarcerated and who have been dealing with issues of justice and exclusion and abuse. And I wonder from all of these different voices that you have heard and really listened to and connected with over the years, like, are there some common human elements that you think, man, I... Like, here's what I know now. I've listened to all of these people. I've connected. I've been so intentional about understanding and being aware that these are some life lessons that I've gained from all of this listening.
1: That's a that's a big question. I, I do know that all of us want to be known. We, we want to be safe. So there's always a trust element in this. And thinking of generosity, listening is a, in and of itself in this way is a generous act. And one, it's Brene Brown who says one of the key elements of trust is generosity, being willing to give people the benefit of the doubt, not rushing to judgment. No one likes to be judged. No one likes to be told what to do. No one, no one. Unless you ask, unless you say I need advice, that's one thing. But we go around all day giving advice, and no one has asked us for it. So being very aware of people's internal processes, people want to go there eventually. What do you think? You know, what are we use this process called strategic questioning, which was formulated by Fran Peavy, and it's really brilliant. There's an online manual you can just Google Fran Peavy strategic questioning. And it's just a beautiful process of being fully present to another human and leading them through their own mind and emotions and desires and goals and dreams, because we all hold the solutions to our issues or concerns, whatever's going on with us inside. We can give other people information if they don't have it, but the inner guidance is what is foolproof. People love to know what they think and to do what they decide they can do. They want, they want to be seen authentically for who they are and respected, which is simply a question of recognizing the inherent dignity of every person. Everyone has innate dignity. It doesn't it doesn't get granted to anyone. It gets disregarded all day long. We're disregarding the innate dignity of other humans, but it is there. No one can take that from us. One of the, the men in, in the uh, prison project uh, has actually written an article on this very subject about dignities and the lack of recognition of dignity that prisoners experience and just how demoralizing and damaging that is. But we all do that. You don't have to be in prison to have your dignity uh, not recognized by other humans. So these are small, well, no, they're big gifts. They're not small. But they're small acts of generosity and kindness that we can do all day long, every single conversation that we have every single one can transform the world i don't and i don't i'm i don't believe that's an overstatement because i think what we we are in the middle as a species of this massive shift and understanding of who we are as humans as a species
0: yeah it goes back to what you said about how do we define we and us versus them and you're saying at this point in our evolution, the only proper definition of we is the planet and all living things on it. I think that's something all of us can practice, how we're defining we, how we're looking at our place in this global system. And you started speaking about collaboration and how we work together and how people want to be known and and how we can honor others' dignity. Tell me a little bit more about the workplace, and how you've seen collaboration and inclusion be a form of generosity?
1: I think collaboration is a recognition that we are not superior to others, and that in fact, we only have a very small piece of the insight that is required for any project, any program. There's so much more innovation when everyone is consulted and part of the project. And in very different ways, people get to select in collaborative projects what their role could be. You know, if if people are self-aware and know what their gifts are and their talents and what they can contribute, which is always the things that bring them joy, then that's what they contribute. So for example, we have an editorial team. We have some crackerjack editors. Like they're just awesome. We have a writing team. We have the content team. We had the title team and the structures team. It's just awesome. And none of that would happen out of my brain. It's our collective experience and wisdom and insight and gifts and talents. Who has all that? None of us have
0: that. So that humility and the curiosity, of I am not the be all end all. I'm a contributor. I am a willing participant in this team or this operation or this initiative, but it's not just because of me. So I think that that appreciation for thank God we have each other because that's how the puzzle pieces come together. I'm just this one piece. It's an important piece. It's not the same without me here, but I'm not the whole thing. It's not not the whole picture. And
1: I actually think that's an important component of leadership. I mean, leadership, traditionally, we see in a very hierarchical way. There are the people on top, and then there are the people who follow, leaders and followers. Whereas I think we're moving again as a species. And and indigenous and ancient wisdom uh, has had this for a very long time. That it is the collective. It is the whole that sees more clearly. And that's what we need to do. You know, we need to to operate in circles, not hierarchies. And that everyone, everyone is a leader sometime or could be a leader sometime. We've all been led by people that no one would really think was a leader, but our minds and hearts have been changed by all kinds of people. So understanding leadership as a shared quality, not as something that only a handful of people with privileged education or money or what, you know, whatever. everybody can be a leader at some point. And part of being a really good leader, I think, is lifting up, recognizing and lifting up the gifts of other people.
0: That's what leaders. Do. So for those listening who relate to that, what would you recommend that they do to be less judgmental of themselves and others? Love themselves,
1: love, love even. And I oh, that is so, that sounds so facile. That's That's so much harder to do than it sounds like because we are acculturated to self-criticism. We hold ourselves to somebody else's idea or standard of who we should be or how we should be or, how we should look, and all we need to do is be our glorious selves. Every human is just a light and just connect with that, which means honoring the things that we aren't so wild about in ourselves because they, they are the key to our transformation, embracing those things that we just aren't comfortable with getting in touch with them. They've served us somehow. They've served us. Maybe it's time to let them go, but it would be worth the energy to sort of contemplate why. Why do I think I need to X, Y, Z? Why do I think I need to be perfect? Why do I think I need to get this right? Why does it does it upset me when I look foolish in front of other people? Who cares? Like, Let's all be foolish together. It's so much more fun to not really have to be anything other than who you are in all in all our messiness you know messy
0: let's just do it share our messiness it lightens the load to hear you say that and to accept ourselves as we are and to really embrace that humanity and that we're on a journey and nobody's expecting us to be perfect and we shouldn't expect that from ourselves either so all of our guests share a favorite quote or mantra. I'd be curious to hear yours, Sharon.
1: Well, I guess, I guess the one that I, I have quotes that I love in terms of social change and transformation and all of this, but the two things that are sort of my north star uh currently. Well, the first one has been for a very decades at this point, which is love is all there is. Love is all. Love is love. That's it. Just love is the essence of everything, I think. And and love, we, we know so little about love. <laughs> we humans, we even have to come up with a uh, a definitive modifying adjective, unconditional love. If there's a single condition, it is not love, it is not love. Some form of requirement or expectation, but it isn't love. So absolutely no condition ever. And then the other one is what I mentioned earlier. I the the James O'Day expression, and and he's who I heard it from, read it from. It, it could be someone else's. I don't I don't know, but I love it about having relentless compassion, relentless compassion for ourselves and for other people, and then. I would add, couple it with radical, meaning going to the root, radical humility, knowing
0: we simply do not. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Sharon. To think about all of your lived experiences, all of the things that you have observed and noticed, and for you to say, here's the thing, it's love. Love is all there is. And I think for us to take that away and think, how are we modeling that? How are we using that to to prioritize, to understand ourselves and others. And then for you to remind us about this relentless compassion and radical humility is really, it's a ongoing work for us. It's work for us to continue to invest in.
1: Everything is fuel for change and transformation. And we get stuck in our griefs a lot because we all have sorrows. We all suffer from loss of numerous kinds and we can get stuck there because it is difficult. Whereas that really is, that really is the fertilizer for becoming, which we're all, we're all becoming and it's painful and it's hard, but it's all, it's all because of love. We, we grieve because we love. So just, love, 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 and be gentle with ourselves and lift each other up, shine light where we can.
0: Oh, thank you for being the light that you are.
1: Thank you for your light, Shannon. It's just delightful to be with you.
0: ROG Takeaway Tip. How to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Sharon shared so much, I highly recommend listening to this one again. Every conversation can change the world, especially if we listen. What gets in the way of us just listening? The three things Sharon shared is our inner monologue, our sociocultural filters, and our ego. Our inner monologue, number one. This week, let's be intentional about turning down the volume of the inner chatterbox, quiet it down. So you can just listen to others. Number two, the socio-cultural filters. This includes our identities, orientations, beliefs, background. Be mindful of yours and how it can influence what you're hearing. And the third is our ego. It's human and part of our defense system, but not helpful when we're really trying to listen. Catch yourself this week seeking to be right, putting yourself in the lead role of the player in, interrupting people or hearing things through the me filter. Other key takeaways include, how do you define us and them? I agree with Sharon that we should challenge ourselves to define we as the earth and all living things on it. Another key takeaway, what would it mean for you to live with relentless compassion? Who could you be more compassionate towards? Likely it's yourself. And what would it look like to live with radical humility? Not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Last, and most importantly, love, love, love. Be gentle with ourselves and lift others up. Join us next week with Tara Collingwood. Until then, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast, Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit BridgeBetween.com. We grow when we give.
1: We grow when we
0: give. We grow when we give.